Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 138, Geek Yourself 2022. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they just fall off. But I still wake up, I still see a ghost Oh Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for What do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights I don't know Hello and welcome to Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Well, the summer is over and I am in the throes of a very busy school year, one of which has been incredibly stressful, <laughs> but I've been doing what I can to find breaks in in the midst of like all the crazy. And uh, so if you go over to the Uncollecting, my other blog, you'll see a bunch of comics read and reviewed. And I've been certainly watching a lot of sports, mostly playoffs that have been ultimately disappointing. But, you know, trying not to get too caught up in the doom scroll, especially considering I am recording this on election day. So, you know, I'm not exactly successful with that as it is. But this is episode 138, and this episode is covering a tradition of this podcast ever since it started, all the way back to its very first episode, which is the Baltimore Comic Con. This year was held in the last weekend of October, and as we always do, Brett and I headed up for the con on that Saturday. It wound up being really nice weather-wise. Uh, the morning was pretty cold, and we were actually wearing hoodies that as we stood in line outside the convention center, and that meant I had to carry the damn things around the entire day. More on that later. But, um, you know, it was a really, really enjoyable experience as far as, you know, a really, really gorgeous day. But, of course, you don't care about the weather in Baltimore at the end of October, do you? No, you want to know how the show went. That is, if you're actually still here. So um, what I've got for you guys today is all sorts of audio. Creators, both established and up and coming, as well as me and Brett talking about everything that we did and bought. So um, I'm going to bring all that your way right after this break. Stops my bones from wandering why, why, why. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. 
So the con always opens around 10 o'clock in the morning, but doors open around 8. And since ever since my second convention, and that was in 2013, I, and then with Brett with me, we have always been near the front of the line to get in. In fact, we always run into the same people I've seen. Same, same guys. I always recognize them from year to year. Anyway, this is something I started doing because the first year when I went, I showed up around 10 o'clock in the morning when it, when it opened and the line was wrapped around the building. I mean, it didn't take me very long to get in, but, you know, rookie mistake. Plus, traffic on I-95, especially in Virginia, is a hellscape. So we left my in-laws in, in Stafford in Northern Virginia around 6.30 in the morning. We arrived in Baltimore at 8 o'clock. And uh, I spent time in line helping Brett get their costume together and getting my stuff in order. And once again, I brought a lot of stuff with me to have signed, even though I told myself I wasn't going to do this. And that's kind of been my problem for the last few years, to be honest. I keep telling myself that I'm going to limit the number of signatures that I get. And then the guest list comes out and I'm highlighting a ton of names and I can't seem to get one thing signed. I got to get four. And so I start with this enormous pile in like September. And by the time the con comes around, I've whittled it down to what I can carry in my, in my messenger bag. And even then, I don't think I hurt my shoulder, but I certainly can feel kind of a little bit of soreness after walking around with that all day. Plus, you know, so I've got this this weight, this huge thing, and I and I, and it what ends up happening at the convention is that I spend most of my time rushing around, you know, going from table to table to table because I'm like trying to cover all of the signatures I was going to get. And this is how I've done the con for the last several years, and it is fun, but at the same time, I'm thinking, I don't know, like even even I haven't even recapped what we did, and I'm starting to think maybe I should really commit to only a couple of signatures next year and spend more time uh, meeting up with people or uh, just going down Artist Alley or, or shopping or something, just or just kind of taking it a little more slowly. The con structure is what it usually was. There were panels, there was the cosplay contest, there were media guests of uh, voices of Disney princesses from a number of movies, as well as John Leguizamo, who was in Encanto and has been in a number of other things. And then uh, there was, you know, your artist, your artist alley contingent, your your merchandise. Uh, you had a bunch of panels. Brett and I didn't really go into any panels. We couldn't find anything we were really, really that interested in. They all looked really interesting. Um, and the ones we really we thought were really cool were unfortunately happening on like Friday or Sunday. So we it was not the day we were going there. So we knew we were going to be on the floor all day. And I guess that's why I figured, well, you know, I can go ahead and do several creators um, all at once. And it still ended up being pretty awesome. Um, you know, the con was back in the bigger hall this year. There's always plenty to see and shop over the course of one day. And I fact, like, I kind of feel like I should talk about how you do a big convention in a day or something. I mean, Baltimore is not as big as like New York or San Diego or Dragon Con, but it's still a three day show and it's still got a lot happening and a lot to offer. So, but we only, you know, we don't get a hotel room. We come up for pretty much the day and we leave in the afternoon. It's like, how do you make the most of it? And my approach isn't perfect, but my advice, so kind of take my advice with a grain of salt, but 
I don't know, here's some things that I've noticed with through, through the lens of my prep and experience over the years that I've done with this. So the first thing, and I mentioned this, was packing only what you can carry on your shoulder. I'm not going to rag on anybody who brings a rolling bag or anything like that, especially if you're not physically capable of actually carrying stuff on your shoulder. But the idea at least in my mind, is to be as unencumbered as possible. You know, after all, you're going to be getting books out of your bag, putting back in, getting stuff signed. You don't want to have the stuff that's signed get all like wrinkled and destroyed. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, like I'm always heading off to a wall or an open table or chair somewhere to just kind of reconfigure my bag, put comics back in bags and shuffle around so things are accessible. Plus you've got, oh, like, all the stuff you buy, you know, so like you're going to, you're going to want to, you're going to have to lug around a lot of stuff. So you have to know what your limit is going to be over the course of several hours, especially when you're in a really crowded venue. So that is what, uh, you know, that's what I always advise. Um, I also advise packing snacks. Um, I've never, I think the only time I've ever bought any piece of food or drink from the convention was that I bought a bottle of water here. I buy a bottle of water here and there every couple of years. Um, if I had forgotten my own water bottle, uh, the bag, the messenger bag I has, has a water bottle pouch, but otherwise we don't really buy the food at the con. We go outside to get lunch, but I do pack like, you know, goldfish crackers and those Lance toast, peanut butter toast crackers and that sort of stuff in case either of us get really hungry. Or uh, we usually when sitting in line in the morning, both of us have like medication to take. So we have something that we can have in our system to do it, which is probably more information than you need. But I've, I've got all that and I've got the comics and I've got the trades, but I've also got like Sharpies, of course, right? For people to use the sign if they don't have their own, but also pens and highlighters. And those are for what entails like my second uh, big thing that I do in order to prep, which is kind of a piece of advice I can give, which is to plan your signings out. The con has a program. And uh, what I do is I actually download the map a couple of days before and, and find where the people are on the map. And then on the day of the, of the convention, you know, they give the program out for free and I turn to the map and I grab a highlighter and a pen and my original map and I highlight on the artist listing where everybody is going to be. And then I literally, because I'm a total nerd, draw a line with arrows of where I'm going to go first and number those booths. It doesn't always fall that I'm going to go in the exact order that I planned, but it at least gives me kind of a an idea of what I want to do and where I want to go and what I want to do first, because when you walk onto the convention floor, it can be really overwhelming and you might not want know what you want to do first. And it's, it's not like you could essentially make a round and, and kind of survey the scene, but it's a big, big hall. So it's, you know, there's only so much time you can do it and you've got, you know, somebody with you or whatever. Although Brett's now at the age where we split up for most of the day and go look at stuff. But you know, what I do is, um, is uh, is look for those creators and try to get that stuff out of the way first, which is why I said, like, maybe I want to lessen the creators that I get. Like I said, it's nerdy as hell, but you don't go to Walt Disney World as many times as I have in the past 10 years without picking up a few things, right? So the order of my signings. So I've, I've talked a little bit about what I do for the uh, convention prep. 
And the order of the signings has a couple of factors. You know, how do I pick who I want to see first? Well, proximity is a big one. You know, a lot of times they're all grouped near the same area. So what I do is I try to pick people who are going to be close to each other so I can just kind of jump from table to table without having to bounce around the entire place. Uh, Another one is the length of the line and popularity. So some people have very few lines when you see them or you get to catch them at a good time sometimes and you get them alone for a little while. Others have massive lines. You know, I've waited in some of those massive lines. Uh, George Perez, Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, uh, to name a few. And one such line was Walter and uh, Louise Simonson. And uh, they were really top of my list this year. I I always love talking to them, especially Louise, who is just a wonderful, wonderful person. And I always try to find something that I have for her to sign every time I'm there because it's just just really uh, meeting the both of them. People were lining up to see them, though, hours before they even showed up. So by the time I walked into the convention at 10 o'clock in the morning, when they let us all in that we weren't, you know, part of the VIP package. Although maybe I should get that next year. Anyway, I was um, really just not up to standing in that line. And so I, I made a quick decision to come back. And then by the time we were about to go to lunch, I unfortunately uh, said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to, to to stand in this line and, and, and waste, because it would have been wasting my day, like losing a lot of shopping time and things like that. It was kind of a bummer because the stuff I wanted Walt to sign was uh, some really cool stuff. I have the Close Encounters adaptation that he did from the Marvel Super Special. I have an issue of Bizarre Adventures, I think it's called, which adapts his his, his adaptation of The Lawnmower Man by Stephen King. I had Batman number 300. I had the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie adaptation special, which he wrote. And uh, as well as a a who's who entry or two. So maybe next year, you know, I might still kind of keep that in mind as I I put my list together. But really, I've found that I I really have to, if I'm preparing to do this in a day and I want a lot of signatures, I have to kind of make that decision of when am I going to cut bait, so to speak? You know, who is, is it really, really vital that I get these things signed? And besides, there's a lot of other people who... You know, they'll have a couple of people around their table or you'll run into them, but they're, they have the time to sit and talk with you and sign a couple of things. And uh, that began this con with the person who was number two on my list, which was Marvel artist Bob Hall. So um, I'd noticed his name on the list this year, and I have to say, I think it was a first Okay, it's probably not, but in the very least, I noticed his name. I remembered that I had one cool thing he could sign. Now, actually, I have a couple of things, but the uh, the issue that I of Conan the Barbarian that I would have had him sign is in really, really terrible condition. I got it for like, I think I got it out of a grab bag, so it, I think it cost me a quarter or something, and it's, you know, it, it is grab bag grade, so to speak. But I have the graphic novel version of the adaptation of Willow 
that Marvel Comics produced. Now, they did it as a miniseries as well, but I happen to have the Marvel graphic novel. So he went ahead and signed that and just talked to me a little bit about what it was like to create or draw an adaptation of uh, that particular Lucasfilm production. Uh-huh. This came from uh, Lucas. And I just find they're, they're notorious when they do movies. The poor painter, whoever painted this, they had him, him or her, move these things around until if you try to trace it back, this arm is going nowhere. Yeah. And these faces have been repainted a million times to look more like mm-hmm. the, the the people. I just, it's just funny. Yeah. Did, did they? Have, I know that you drew the, you did the pencils on this. Did they give you, like? How 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 uh, how strict were they about least, uh, the likeness and all that? Uh, not very, because they were much more concerned for some reason at that point, and it seems silly. And given how they publicize films now, mm-hmm. they didn't want to release uh, <coughs> a lot of reference. Oh, interesting. And they instead had us out to see a rough cut. Huh. And then we asked for photographs, and they said, but you saw the rough cut. And said, no, I, I, if you want him to look like it, you've got to give me... Yeah. And they, they slowly fed us some, but the, the special effects, they hadn't done them yet mm-hmm. So we, on the rough cut, so we were guessing as to what those looked like. And they would send it back, saying, well, that's not what it looked like. Well, can you send us reference? Well, no, we don't want to do that. Well, can you describe it? So they described like two dragons at the end, uh-huh. uh, or a two-headed dragon. Yeah. And I said, well, what does it look like? It looks like a dragon. <laughs> well, what kind of a dragon? You know, like a dragon. Uh, well, like the Disney drawing dragon? Yeah, yeah, like that. Look nothing like that. They sent it back and said, that isn't what it looked like. It looks like two giant penises with teeth. <laughs> but uh, so there's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of that going on. Now, of course, they would load you with with, with reference because they, yeah. they're, they're teasing everybody with it, but different era. Yeah. Right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Right, take care. From there, I went to see Terry Moore. Um, I'm still on my mad quest to get every single one of my Terry Moore trades signed. Um, Strangers in Paradise, especially. So I got, I brought two of those with me. Probably could have packed more, but it was one of those things where, again, try not to weigh myself down. And then I bought the Omnibus of Serial. I bought his most recent sketchbook. Now, I didn't get any audio this time with him, and I usually do get a decent interview out of him, but he had quite a bit of a line by the time I got there. Um, I was maybe third or fourth in line, but then there were about like five or six people behind me. So I didn't want to take a lot of his time. Um, I was also, I don't know, I was weirdly flustered uh, for some reason, not at him, but I was just feeling really weirdly rushed. And maybe it was because I was just kind of trying to do this. I'm going to jump around to different signatures and stuff like that, which is why at the top of the show, I'm like, I think I need to reduce it to like three or something next year. But anyway, he's incredibly nice. We did have a short conversation off mic about uh, the series serial, which he did that starred Zoe from the Rachel rising comic. And I did ask him whether or not he was going to do another, like a follow-up to Serial. He said he doesn't have anything in the works now. Uh, so it's kind of a, or at least that's, he's going to put her away for, for a little while, at least for now, which is, which is a bummer, but I totally understand. But 
Um, he is currently writing and drawing Parker Girls, which is a connection to Strangers in Paradise. And I think that that series is on its second or third issue. And it's, I mean, it, it, I've never read anything of his that's not good. And it's, this is just right up there with everything else. That's just really, really good. So I would recommend Parker girls. I wholeheartedly recommend serial. It's now out in an omnibus edition. It was out in two trades before, and you can get that at his website, which is abstract studio. So from there, I did get my act together a little bit, (laughs) at least a little bit. And I went to talk to Jill Thompson. Now, I think she'd been there before, but I had either not had the chance to talk to her uh, because she'd been at a panel or something or she had canceled or whatever. So I'd never met her. And I was excited to meet her for a couple of reasons because I had a page of the book Leaping Tall Buildings, which is a book my wife bought for me. It features interviews by with comic creators, and she bought it for me years ago. And I've brought it to every convention where I've seen somebody who has been in the book on the thing, and I've had them sign their page. So I have Neil Adams, I have Denny O'Neill, I have Larry Hama, Jules Pfeiffer, Paul Pope, um, Walt Simonson, um, Howard Chaikin, Um, a couple of other people, and Jill Thompson right now. And so she was there uh, promoting her Scary Godmother book, Then that was the focus of the yearbook, the Baltimore Comic-Con yearbook. And I also brought with her a bunch of the pages uh, from the Who's Who, including uh, some Wonder Woman villains like Dr. Psycho and Silver Swan, her entry for Amethyst, the Princess of Gem World, which I thought was a really cool uh, entry, and you'll hear me talk about that, as well as Finals. This is a four-issue miniseries that she, Will Pfeiffer, drew, uh, did for Vertigo back in the very late 1990s. It's a weird horror novel about college that is uh, funny and fun, and I recently reread it. And really, really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that I finally was able to get the... I had to get like... I, I was looking for the last issue for years and I, I finally found it. And uh, she was pretty happy to see it. And, and it was great. It was a great conversation with her. Yeah. I think it would be fantastic episodic television. <laughs> it is... Uh, I reread. I hadn't read it in years. I reread it I reread I was, it every once in a while and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Will and I were so good. It really is. It's, it's fun. It would be... It really would be great on like just around this time of year with it. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, there's a page in this hardcover where was, there was an interview with you. Oh. Um, that's, I gotta find it because I thought I could part of it, so let me find that. Okay. Oh, I love the picture. Thank you. Do you mind if I took a picture of all these finals together? Yeah, sure. I'm gonna send it to Will because we always are, we always like them. It's like, oh, people still love this. So I'm gonna say I signed all these finals today. Oh, that's really cool. All right. Here, I'll put this I love that amethyst. Thanks. Uh, it would have been fascinating to see what, what you would have done with the. Uh, I don't know how much you drew of her. Of Amethyst? Yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked her. And I like the new Amethyst series that had just come out mm-hmm. like a couple of years ago. I really loved that. Yeah. So. 
And yeah, I was kind of a little bumbling. I'm kind of a little bumbling in this episode too, and I apologize. I don't know what's uh, what's been going on, or I kind of do, but it was just weird nerves on that day, or um, again, maybe trying to squeeze too much in. Um, I also think that for whatever reason, my approach to people is has not improved. You think, but doing this podcast as long as I have, I would have a good way of introducing myself or walking up to people and engaging in a conversation, but I seem to have gotten more awkward in the last few years. Maybe that's a pandemic thing in that I spent a lot of time on Zoom and, and you know, it's it's been through a lot, especially the last few years. So I don't know, but I do need to come up with some sort of um, way in that's a little more, not like crazy assertive, but that's a little less, you know, uh, Chris Farley. Uh, but I also probably shouldn't be so self-critical. So I'm going to move on. So from there, I went from Jill Thompson and I made my way down this aisle of the uh, convention where there were about like three or four people who I had wanted to buy stuff from and get some signatures from. And I put the recorder away for a little while. So I just can get, get all that stuff. Um, I talked to Tom Zoller, uh, who I've who I've talked to a few years now, and I bought two things from him: the, uh, the trade paperback of Time and Vine, and the hardcover of Cupid's Arrows. Um, and I also mentioned to him that I contributed to his most recent Kickstarter. That is for Love and Capes: Home for the Holidays. He still got it up. Um, it's about maybe a week or week and a half after. Uh, after this episode comes out, it'll it'll stop. So if you're listening to this right around the time it comes out in early November, uh, you still have time to contribute to that Kickstarter if you want to, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, he's he's fully funded and going for stretch goals, and and the last two Love and Capes uh, Kickstarters that I backed were great, and I got some great stuff out of them and such. So I'm literally looking forward to see what he produces here. And then from there, I stopped at the tables for two creators who I've interviewed in the past. I think it was last year, actually, on the show. Uh, one was Steve Conley, who is the author of Middle Age. Um, I bought the hardcover collection of book two from him. And then I also bought a pin. There's a really cool pin, and he gave me a sticker, which is on my laptop right now. So that, that was really cool. And then David Peterson. He is the author and artist of Mouse Guard. Uh, last year, Brett... And I bought one of those, and Brett really liked it. It's a gorgeous book, and it was really cool to read. So Brett was like, do you think that they have that the guy has any more? And I said, well, I'll go check. And I went and I bought the next two hardcovers. They are absolutely gorgeous. I think there's a couple of other things that are out, and if he's there next year, I might grab them. But I, if you've never read Mouse Guard as a comic or a graphic novel, I highly recommend it. It is so, so good. And then from there, um, I was off to a better start. You know, I was I was feeling a little better. I was feeling that I was kind of knocking things out. I was crossing names off and regrouping. The Kids Love Comics Pavilion hadn't opened, so I was using the tables to just kind of shuffle things around. And that's when I went to talk to Joe Staten. And he and I, he talked to me for at least a little bit about uh, one of my favorite Earth 2 characters, the Huntress, and how her the costume design came about. I bought a Catwoman and Batman and Huntress print off of him. I had him sign the Who's Who loose leaf 
Huntress entry page. I bought, I grabbed, he had a couple of Dick Tracy car, uh, comics that he was giving away for free that I got as well. And then I had him uh, sign a few other things. Uh, so here's my very brief talk with Joe Staten about the Huntress. Um, I apologize for the side conversation that was going on next to us that kind of leaked in. Joe's very soft-spoken, so I had to jack the volume up. So hopefully this, uh, you're able to hear this as well as um, I could possibly make it. Oh, yeah. I, was, I wanted to say I loved your... Uh, I love the Huntress in general, and I love the original costume. I also love the uh, the mini you did back in the was it 1990 or so. No. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was such a great series. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, but I wanted to give you um, any thought of what went into designing the the Huntress costume as it was when you originally did it. Well, we were trying to. Um, trying to get elements of Batman and Catwoman into the same costume. Mm-hmm. So you know, she's got the uh, you know, bat cape, but she's got like, you know, the, the boots are more like Catwoman. And, uh-huh. and uh, when Tony Collin, uh, he incorporated the colors from the Batwoman, Batman, and uh, Catwoman. Costume. So that, that's working together and getting it all, all in one costume. Cool. Yeah. It's really interesting. Thank you again. I appreciate you taking the time. That's what I'm here for. All right. Take care. So in addition to that, I had Joe sign my copy of Green Lantern 200, a few other who's who pages like Nort and Sinestro. The DC promo magazine, DC Focus, it had a cover about Millennium, and I'm pretty sure it was like the only issue of that promo mag that they ever made. He signed my Green Lantern 200 by putting his name in the middle of the power battery on the cover. And that was one of the books I had actually also brought for Walt Simonson because Simonson did that cover. And it's one of my all-time favorite Green Lantern covers. If again, if I ever see him again, even though that that my copy of that book is not in the best condition, it's a little faded, I'm still going to get him to sign it because I just love that cover. Steve Englehart, and I don't even know if he does cons, is also on my like bucket list because there's like three or four books that I would love for him to sign, especially the Batman stuff from, from that era. Anyway, anyway, so after Joe Staten, I once again saw Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. He signed my copy of the Star Raiders graphic novel, uh, Atari Force Number 1, as well as the Dead Man miniseries from 1986. Um, I think that's probably the last set of signatures I'll get from him from a while. Uh, I always love going to see him. It's just I don't have a lot more for him to sign. Maybe a couple of issues of the new Teen Titans, and that's about it. I'm kind of, again, like that's another piece of advice I always have. It's like, you know, get signed what you really, really want. I try not to bring too much for the person because also I don't want to hold up their line. But like, I'm always of the, is it interesting? Is it, is it, is it something that they don't usually sign? Is it something that means a lot to me? Sometimes it is, is if this is the only time I'm going to meet this person, is this a key thing that I need to have signed um, as well? So again, planning those things out is really, really important. And that was the case, no pun intended, with Richard Case and Greg LaRock, who were both new to me at the, at the convention. And both of whom I've read a lot of their stuff, but I've read digitally. So I don't have a ton of their stuff in print. With Richard Case, I only have, believe it or not, loose leaf who's who pages. Lorac's kind of the same way. I have a few issues of the Legion of Superheroes, or I think I had them. I don't remember if I still do. 
But I did have the Return of Barry Allen trade, so I brought that as well as a bunch of Who's Who loose leaf pages. So they both signed them. I got to talk to Greg LaRock about how much I loved his flash work. And then Richard Case, by the way, nicest person. Um, he signed my Who's Who, Who's Who loose leaf pages that were all Doom Patrol members. And he just talked about how much he loved drawing those. But he's like, these were so fun. And I talked to him about how much I love the Cliff Steele one. And uh, then, then, believe it or not, I had both of our hoodies. Me and Brett kind of snuck into the side of a, my, my bag. And, and um, I apparently dropped Brett's as I was walking to another table. I didn't realize that I dropped it until I got all the way to the front of the of the hall to where Mike Grell was. And uh, that's where I ran into Darren and Ruth Sutherland uh, for the second time. I had run into them in line getting ready for the for the convention to open, um, and we had talked a little bit. It was great to see them. I was really hoping I would run into them because I think I missed them last year. And uh, they, I, I was about to get in line and just kind of stand in line with them and talk about, you know, getting things signed in the con and stuff when I noticed that Brett's hoodie was missing. So they're like, well, we'll hold your place in line. Why don't you go look for it? So I went, I was like, where could it be? Where could it be? And I started retracing my steps back to the different tables I was at. Again, my nerdiness comes in handy here because I'd been marking down where I was going. And I went, I, I went to Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's table. I talked to the guy who's like kind of his uh, manager and he's like, no, I haven't seen anything. I said, okay. So then I went to the rocks. Wasn't there Staten? There wasn't anything there. So I went to Richard Case's um, table and hanging on the corner of the table was the hoodie with a note. Like, did you drop this? Is this yours? And I found, I said, that's my kids. And I said, thank you very much. He was so, so nice. And, he, and I was just like, you avoided the heart attack and he was very gracious. And then not only that, I get back to Mike Grell's table and Darren and Ruth are right in the front. And they're like, oh, we saved you the spot. They literally saved my spot. I was like, are you kidding me? No, I can get in line. No, we're not getting anything signed. We saved this for you. It was wonderful. And um, I, you know, I spent a pretty decent amount of coin at Mike Grell's table because he's charging, he's charging a little more than a sig for a signature than I usually would pay. But you know, for all that, I was like, you know what? It's worth it. And I had money. I've been saving money all year, which is another piece of advice I can give. Like, I literally take out like AT cash from the ATM every time I get paid. And it's just a little bit. It's like $20 or $40. And I just put it aside somewhere. And I have a huge wad of cash I bring with me because I don't want to bust out the credit card in the middle of a, of a floor show if I don't have to. Um, so yeah, I just like, again, I just, I do a lot of planning for this, even though it's just like a one day convention thing. <laughs> so that's another piece of advice, but no, they were, they were just wonderful. And, and, um, I got well, like five things signed by Mike Grell. The first uh, two issues of Star Slayer, The Legend of the Jolly Roger. I'm missing one one of those, by the way. I'm, I'm looking for issue 10, so I'm going to get on that when I can. Uh, the first issue of John Sable Freelance. Uh, the Green Arrow Who's Who entry. The Loose Leaf, once again. And then the first issue of Shaman's Tears, uh, a book that I bought off the rack from Image years ago uh, when it first came out, uh, sold in a huge lot on eBay and then found it in a sale earlier this year and a, and a number of the issues of that series. So I'm going to do a big reread of that. Um, but it is, it's amazing how nice, it's amazing how nice everybody is here. But Ruth and Darren are just like hands down the nicest people. And I, I really, really enjoyed spending some time with them. We just, we kind of, after the Mike Grell 
table. Um, we just went off to the side near the wall so I could kind of get all my stuff back together. I texted Brett and say, hey, let's go to lunch. And we just talked for a little bit about like, you know, what we've been doing and and how the con was going and what they've been up to and, and things they've seen and done. And and uh, it was just, it was such a nice conversation. Um, and they were the only two people I really ran into. There were a few people who I later on found out were there, um, like Jared Albrecht and, and Steve Gibbons and stuff. And I, just, I really wish I would have coordinated with them to figure out uh, a way to just meet up and say hello. Uh, so if any of you guys are listening to this, we'll do this next year. Um, I definitely got to do this next year. I won't be running around like a nut trying to get 50,000 signatures. <laughs> so anyway, so Brett and I went to lunch because uh, I got all my creators in. This is the first time I'd done that before lunch. It was it was pretty amazing. And uh, so we headed to the car to drop off our stuff. And that's something I've also mentioned before when I talk about planning and, and convention stuff. Baltimore is a, is a city. There's no parking lot for the convention center. It's, it's in the inner harbor. So you are relying on available parking garages. Um, I have the app Spot Hero, and Spot Hero has a parking garage that is on West Lombard Street. It's about a block over and a block up from the convention center. And I reserved my parking. I think it was like $15, $20 to park for the whole day. And I reserved my parking space uh, in that garage way in advance the same day I buy the tickets. So all I have to do is pull up to the garage, scan the QR code on my phone, and and you know, and park, you know, and, and a lot of cities do parking like this. Those of you people who have been in cities and have used apps like Parking Panda and Spot Hero, you know what I'm talking about. So it's not like, um, oh, back in the early 90s, I went to a show at the Nassau Coliseum and we parked in the Coliseum parking lot and et cetera. No. So you do have to find parking in and around the convention center, usually in a garage. So what we do is we go back to the car and offload everything. And I think that's one of the best things we've ever started doing and I started doing it a few years ago because of the fact it just lightens your load and it makes that shopping experience toward the end of the day way more fun because you're not weighed down by all the stuff. So I always recommend if you can get back to your car for a little bit, because they'll probably have like a, a wristband or a stamp or something that will allow you re-entry, um, do it. Take the 20 minutes it might take, 10 minutes it might take. Uh, to do it because that it just again it's just one fewer thing you have to worry about going back in after lunch if you have plans. So we we went to lunch after that, and we, I got rid of the hoodies because it was sixty degrees outside. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we went to Jimmy John's, which is literally right across the street from the convention center by Camden Yards, and uh, I ran into this guy who was cosplaying as Bill Lumberg from Office Space. I loved the costume, took a picture. We talked about the convention for a little while. And then Brett and I, since um, there was no seating available in the restaurant, the two of us went outside and just sat outside and talked about how the convention had been going. And uh, you can hear us eating and crunching, of course, but and you can hear some background street noise. But it was nice to have lunch outside with them for a little while. So here's the two of us uh, talking about how things have been going so far. Rage. Is that the one you had or no? No, it's just, it's good art. It's just, it used to be one of those prints that would be on those stands where like it's just images off Google Images. Um, but like now it was the actual artist selling mm. it. I don't know how um, you get license to sell that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you owe them a royalty or something? or? I'd assume so. 
No clue, but at least it was the actual artist this time. Because they had, they were selling similar art style prints, and they had like signs up like for like requests and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we've basically been doing the opposite. Um, you know, buying wise, like you've been getting comic stuff, and I have not gotten any comics yet. Mm. Well, well, to be fair, you tend to you tend to like the gamer poster artwork stuff more than I do. Yeah, I know there's a mouse guard card game out now. Mm. I saw him selling uh, parts to it and stuff. I also, I saw someone selling D&D miniatures, but the only unpainted one I saw was a big dragon, and I'm like, that's probably like... Well, I'm also getting to the point with these conventions where I really should just number, like, limit my signature list to, like, two or three people. I've also got to stop buying comics because I have so many that I have not read mm. that I need to read. Well, there's like a new Spider-Man X-Men crossover coming up that's on your... I think you're going to get, if not all the Spider-Man titles, at least all the... I meant like specifically like older comics. Like I've got this graphics that I just have not even... Yeah, you should go through your book and... Um... I saw the um, MST3K cosplayer from last year as well. I do like that we're in the big hall again this year. Yeah, it's a lot easier to navigate. Yeah. I am wondering how much I'm getting mistaken for an adult. Yeah. You do look a little older. Because, like, vendors have had conversations with me that they've had with, like, you before. Mm -hmm. I think it also helps I'm walking alone. Yeah. So I thought we would head over to Artist Alley first and then kind of look up and down and then um, shop for books and stuff. There's one vendor I did see they had the they had the dollar box. I can't remember the name of them. I did see some really cool things that could work as dice bags. Mm. Um, like the mask guard guy, he had those like burlap sort of bags for the card game. But those could work as DVD dice bags. That's cool. I think I'm only really gonna buy any more stuff if I like really want it, you know? Uh. Yeah, no, this is where I'm, like, diving into back issue bins like crazy. So that's really why I'm glad this doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. It's, and I don't have the sweatshirts and stuff with me, because then I can, you know, really... Yeah, I saw some really interesting things, but I was, like, like, toys and things, but, like, way out of my price range. I saw Booth selling the original Rob for the NES. Mm. We have that. Do we? Yes. Um, we don't have any games that go with it. Does it work? According to mom, no. <laughs> I also saw a copy of Super Mario 64, <coughs> and they were like estimated price $10,000, and I was like, you are price gouging. That is not... For just, that? Yeah, just yeah. absolutely In not. the box? In the box. It was in the original box. Sealed? I think it was sealed, but the box like had like visual weather, visible weathering on it. And I'm not totally sure if it was the same company, but their color, their logos, colors were definitely the same. There's a, a company who, that tried to get away with something like that as well, where they were just price gouging the prices of older stuff. 
but it was they were sort of posing as a company like PSA, which you send in collectibles to get them graded. And oh, like a great like like yeah. CGC is the name of the, the company that does a lot of the uh, the grading here. Yeah, in card collecting, it's typically uh, PSA. All right. And then after lunch, we headed back inside. We hit Artist Alley, and we did some shopping. We bought a ton of comics, a bunch of trades, some prints, some books, and you'll hear all about that right after this. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at com. So Artist Alley has become a favorite afternoon browse, um, as has the merchandise booths. I always try to buy something new uh, and direct from a creator, and this year I grabbed uh, a couple of things. A comic series based on Beowulf, a science fiction novel, and an anthology to benefit Ukraine. So first, here is my brief chat with Grant Lankard, who created that Beowulf comic that I mentioned. <laughs> so yeah, so you... Um, I didn't even get your name, I apologize. Grant Lankard. Okay. And you wrote a comic based on Beowulf and an adaptation of it? What's the, what's the premise behind it? So the idea is... Uh, the Beowulf that we all learned about in high school, he's been reincarnated as a 30-something slacker, um, and his friends Mooney and Hazel have to get him ready to go up against a dragon. Okay, interesting. So you've got four issues out. Um, is it the full story arc, or are you still doing more? It's a six-issue storyline, and I'm about halfway through issue five, so it's definitely going to get finished. I'm going to take all four. Um, if somebody's interested in checking you out, where would they be able to find you? Uh, on Instagram, I'm, I'm GW Lankard, G-W-L-A-N-K-A-R-D, and that's, it's the same on Facebook and Twitter as well. Okay, cool. Thank you. The other person I talked to was Jason Michael Primrose, who wrote a futuristic science fiction novel. It's the first in a series called The Lost Children of Andromeda. He signed my copy, he took a picture with me. And uh, here's him talking about it as well. So yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about what you got here. It's sort of frankly a really interesting concept for a book. Thank you, so. thank you. Uh, my name is Jason Michael Primrose. I'm the author of the Lost Children of Andromeda series. Um, the first book in the series is called 2050Z, Time and Salvation. And there are 215 days left until the end of the world, and Alistair must find the one thing that will save humanity. Oh, cool. So, um... First one is out. Is the next one in the works, or what's your? Yeah, I actually started drafting from the character motivation. So I'm taking all the characters. What do they want? Why don't they have it? And just kind of working on it from there. Yeah. Cool. And if anybody's interested in this, where would they find you? I'm on Instagram. We're Lost Children of Andromeda. On Twitter, LCOA2052, and LostChildrenOfAndromeda.com. We have a really cool website. All right. Cool. So Thank you. Out. 
All right. Thank you very much. I also had the top opportunity to stop by the Mad Cave Studios table to get a copy of the book Lower Your Sights. This is a charity anthology. It's raising money for people in Ukraine. And I had seen it promoted by the convention in one of their emails that they send out as the convention got closer. And I thought it was really interesting. So I made a note to stop by. The editor, uh, Chaz Preburn, was gracious enough to talk about it. Yes, Lower Your Sights is a benefit anthology for Ukraine. Uh, we put it together over a month and a half, and it has over 100 different creators from around the industry, ranging from up-and-coming people uh, to Ukrainian creators, as well as Matt Kitts. Uh, high, low, everyone in between. But we put everything together. That's actually one of the writers of the story over there, uh, Bob France. And uh, with every single story in the book, it kind of covers the gamut of the feelings surrounding war and viewing war from afar, whether it's someone that is uh, a parent or a student or someone that's in the military and the different feelings and associations that happen throughout all of that. Um, I've noticed that with a lot of uh, Ukrainian creators, when they tell their stories, they have a lot of sadness and anger in them, as you would naturally expect. Mm -hmm. And then when you see other creators from around the world, they have a lot of stories about a lot of hope in there. And you can kind of see the different dichotomy between how everyone is viewing things in their situation in the world and where it's at. And from afar, we look at things like, oh, let's just make it better. And from when so you're actually in the heat of things, it's a yeah. much different story. But um, with this book, I try to have it so it's kind of emotional storytelling that starts at the very beginning. And it, you see the stories of sadness a little bit. And it sort of eventually goes to the stories of hope. So it's like a nice emotional build throughout the whole entire book. Cool. And three variant covers? or Yes. Okay. Uh, the very first cover here is from Yev Hadamaka. She is actually a Ukrainian illustrator. Uh, this is our web store exclusive cover that we sell at cons as well from Ryan Sook, and that is from J.G. Jones. Um, you might know him from all the old Why the Last Man covers and lots of Marvel yes. DC covers. Yes. Uh, so we were very excited to have him in there as well. Uh, we are actually auctioning off that original art uh, that's on the Heritage Auction website this week. Uh, but the hope with that is also donate all the money from there to the Voices of Children Foundation again. But um, <laughs> on my end, I think what I'm most happy about and proud about is besides pulling in some Ukrainian creators that are in the U.S. that are in the comic mm -hmm. industry, I specifically set out to find different Ukrainian creators from overseas. And in the back of the book, we actually have pinups from each of them. We have their contact information, a little profile picture, and a write-up about their piece. Um, many times, it is very, very heartbreaking, but you see a lot of different things you wouldn't necessarily think about. But uh, this is my way of making sure that we can highlight them in a unique and fun way um, to just kind of get their names out there and also kind of show their feelings and their story. And if somebody wanted to buy this if they're not at the convention where can they go? They can go to madcapestudios.com we actually have all three different covers on our website but then on top of that they can go to their local comic shop or any bookstore in the US. Okay. Uh, it's distributed through Simon & Schuster so they have options. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. Bye. And really, I love going down Artist Alley. That's another thing that I always recommend is like check out the people who are not the big names, obviously, um, they're very often they're selling some of their things. Uh, the the Lost Children of an Andromeda novel is something that I just at a glance saw. And uh, this is the third year in a row I've gotten something from an African-American science fiction writer at this convention. I got Ellen Dill uh, from Andrew Rose Washington a few years ago. Um, and I really should. I think she put out a second book. So next year, if she's at the convention, I'll have to I'll have to see her again. And and buy uh, buy that I got um, Rod Van Blake's Ancient Illumination trilogy last year. You heard him, and then I got this. So, uh, and they were just again it, the 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 cover caught my eye. I read the back copy of it. I'm like, this sounds really interesting, and 
again, uh, you're supporting somebody who is who's putting themselves out there, a really cool creator. And, you know, for all of the people up and down the hall who are selling, you know, half-naked pictures of something, like Brett, Brett's always like, it's like this weird soft core stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's if, if that's your thing, enjoy it. Uh, but there's also some always some really interesting indie, indie comics. There's a lot of stuff for kids. And you never know what you're going to find if you don't walk up and down those those aisles. So I always like the fact that we do kind of decide, okay, we're going to we're going to do a little bit of a, a stroll down here and stuff. And there are some gems that you find. So that's another thing. It's like, you know, scope out the entire thing. You may not buy everything at every booth. You really probably wouldn't afford to. But pick up the quirky, the interesting, the thing that you might not, uh, the thing that you could take a chance on, especially since a lot, you know, a lot of these people really do want your, uh, your support and stuff. So from there, though, we went actual shopping, shopping. Uh, later on, you'll hear Brett talk about what they purchased. But what I'll do here is give you a rundown of what I got. I got two t-shirts. Uh, for the first time ever, I bought an official convention t-shirt. I thought, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years since 2012. I, it would be pretty cool. It's a yellow t-shirt with the Baltimore Comic-Con logo. I got uh, what looks like a vintage 80s era travel, like tourist t-shirt of Endor. Uh, there was all these, I'll, I'll link to the site that did these like A16, or something t-shirts. I can't remember the name of the name of the um the t-shirt shop off the top of my head, but they had one for like Endor and Tatooine and Alderaan and Yavin and stuff. And it was, they're, they're really, really fun. And they had a bunch of other fun t-shirts. I got some pretty cool pins. Um, one of which was the Communicore logo from Epcot. It was a Disney set that came out years ago. I'm very close to collecting all of them. I got a promo pin for the Robin miniseries from 1990, uh, a Nightwing pin and the Superman pin were pretty cool buttons. And I, we both got prints from Angela McKendrick, who's Cuddles with Cats. I interviewed her last year. Uh, my wife now has uh, is going to get, I got her the Wonder Woman print. I got one of the Zini from the Princess Bride. I'm going to put it in my classroom. And Brett got Venom and Carnage um, looking at each other, which is pretty cool. Now, trade-wise, I picked up uh, the trade reprinting the Huntress on Earth 2 Adventures that Joe State Staten drew, uh, JLA Crisis of Conscience. That's Conscience. That's their lead into Infinite Crisis, the Golden Age, the uh, for, uh, the original printing of the Golden Age uh, before it was the JSA, the Golden Age, uh, Green Lantern Emerald Knights, which is a Kyle Rayner Hal Jordan team up from the Ma from the Ron Mars years, uh, and the Many Deaths of Batman or trade from like back in the early 1990s. Comics-wise, I filled out much of the rest of my run of Conan the King or King Conan. Uh, picked up a number of 70s and 80s issues of Justice League of America. Uh, some fantasy stuff from the 70s. Uh, the 1970s Starfire series, a bunch of those. Um, a couple of ancillary New Teen Titans appearances, like a Blue Beetle issue. Um, just a JLA miniseries from like... The, the 2000s that I needed some random books here and there that might be that I that look like they might be fun a couple of war comics Brett got a couple of random old Superman issues because he always likes looking at the uh they always like looking at those old uh, ads and all the like you know 
just kind of the the fun silver bronze age, bronze age stuff. I got a, a several issues of the Now Comics Terminator series. I'm trying to complete that run, so that was pretty cool. It was a really good back issue list uh, year. Sometimes I don't get that. Sometimes I just end up picking up random stuff that looks cool. And this year, I actually filled out some of these runs. And we got two pop figures. Uh, each Brett got Peacemaker, and I can't remember who else he got. I think uh, Bloodwork from the Flash TV sh- series. I got Diana from V with her face half peeled off. It was one of the ones I've wanted for a while. So it's awesome. And they had one of Alfred E. Newman, and I couldn't pass that up, especially because this was a table where the pops were five bucks and five for 20. We couldn't find a fifth one, so we only got the four. But yeah, it was a successful day, a successful day of shopping, a successful day of signings. And around 3, 3.30, the two of us headed out. And we sat in traffic because that's what you do on the Beltway and then I-95 in Northern Virginia. We made our traditional Krispy Kreme jaunts, got a bunch of donuts, got some coffee, and we also had the chance to talk in the car. So here's us wrapping up our day on the way home from the Baltimore Comic Con. So we're on our way home. We are, um, yeah, we we did did what we usually do. I, um, we... Dinner. I got a bunch of things signed before lunch. We went to lunch, um, and then we came back and we just shopped around. Did a lot of bin diving. Yeah, and I helped find some things. Yes, and you were you were cosplaying. So last time you went, I did. Uh, was twenty twenty one, which yeah. last year you didn't cosplay. Yeah, and then twenty nineteen you did, I believe, because that's the year you went as Link. Yeah, I did. Okay, um, but other than that. You hadn't cosplayed, so, but you. This was different. So usually your costumes were um, Halloween, Halloween costumes. costumes from last year. So yeah. but this is different. So um, explain what, what you dressed, who you dressed up as, and what that's from. So my cosplay was Grim from Hollow Knight, which is one of my favorite games um, of all time, and he's one of my favorite bosses. But the reason I chose Grim is because, other than being one of my favorite characters, he's fairly easy to cosplay. Um, because uh, he's not a human so what I did was I uh, me and my mom came up with a really cool makeup look and then I wore black and red formal wear and a sort of vampire outfit and horns and everything and I think it turned out really well Yeah, I think it was really accurate you even had like claw gloves that you took off within the first five minutes yeah, <laughs> yeah they were uh not the highest quality. They worked. They looked really cool, but I could not get my bag open with them on, so I had to take them off if gotcha. I wanted to buy anything. So I just, I, I didn't want to keep taking them off and putting them back on, and so I just took them off. Yeah, you just there were a couple of people I think who did recognize your character. Yeah, there were a few vendors actually. Um, whenever I, although whenever I walked down like Artist Alley or whatever, I would always get like just sort of thumbs up or looks, so that was cool. Yeah, I noticed that, like, everybody who we ran into was really, really nice because you yeah. took a few pictures with some cosplayers who were really cool. And yeah. that's what I've always loved about this uh, convention. Nobody's really, I mean, nobody has any reason to be mean, but, yeah. you know, you never know who you're going to run into. And there were, it's still family friendly, too. There were a lot of yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you don't know what you're going to do for next year. But next year it's in September. Yes. So if you decide to do a costume, you have to get it done earlier. Get it done earlier and take into account the amount of heat. Because it was, um, it's gorgeous out today. It's 65 right now as I'm driving home. 
Um, and it was like 48 degrees in the morning. So we were in, like, we I threw the, the fleece and the hoodie in the trunk when we went to lunch. But we were in, like, you know, because we had to carry it around. But by the time we went out to our lunch, it was gorgeous, but it was it was hot. It was, it was hot. stuffy and stifling in that convention center. And we were in the bigger hall. It was like heavy. Yeah, it was just the best way I can describe it. And it's and it's just a mass of people. And toward the end, it really is cool to just yeah. dig and stuff. And like I'm sure I could have dug for more comics and more comics and more comics, but there I were, think for what I got, I did pretty well. There were times in the earlier parts where I was trying to like get somewhere or find you, and I genuinely felt like I was in the hallways of AHS, except <laughs> instead of teenagers not knowing how to walk, it was grown adults. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and we are we're guilty of this too. You're, you're gawking at things, you're yeah. pictures of people in their costumes. It was also just people walking slowly, and I'm a very fast-paced yeah. person. Now there were no the mystery box people were not there to this year, or at least we they were not, could yeah. not find them. But you do you do have a bag of stuff that you got. I do. We bought for the first time ever. Both of us bought Baltimore Comic Con T-shirts. They're very soft. Yeah, they're very soft. And we've been now. I've been going. We've been going to this thing for about maybe six or seven years. I've been going yeah. for about this is my tenth comic convention. So. I thought it would be pretty cool to get a to get a T-shirt. And everything. Yeah. And then, um, then I bought that indoor T-shirt, uh, so that was kind of cool. My geek shirt. I saw a shirt that I almost bought, but I decided against it. It was um, it had like I think it had like a cat and a witch hat on it or something, and it was next to a summoning circle. And it just said "Can't summon the need to care," mm-hmm. and it was from an artist I really like, but I just didn't have money for it. And yeah. Yeah. And I got um. We got we got a bunch of pins and stuff, but you have it's kind of a mystery bag and a little yeah. something here. So um, talk about what you were. Well, what were what were you going to this show? Like you're going to the show. Obviously, we're going to get some comics and stuff yeah. like that. But what were you looking around for? And I was just looking for like cool artists, honestly. Not even like anyone in particular, just artists that I thought were, you know, that their stuff was cool. Uh-huh. Um, the main thing I was actually looking forward to getting was the mascara book. <laughs> yeah, we got both of the mascara books that we didn't have. Um, but yeah, I the first store I even stopped at was called the Nerdware store, so I have the stuff that I bought from there. Okay, so um, what did you get? Well, we... I got two pins from them, and they also gave me, they gave me a little thing of Baby Yoda telling me to vote. Okay. Uh, so the first pin that I got was it, hold on, I gotta open this packaging. Okay, take your time. It's your favorite part of the show. Me struggling with plastic for five minutes. So this is kind of an unboxing. It's kind of an unboxing, but there's no box. So it's an unbagging, I guess. But I got a pin with potatoes on it that says boil them, mash them, put, stick them in a stew. Okay. Because I thought it was funny. Um, again, continuing my ongoing trend of buying things because I think they're funny. Uh, and then I got a little creature from Star Wars, uh, oh. that I will open if I can get this sticker off. I just destroyed this packaging. I feel so bad. Um, I got this little cat thing. Oh, cool. From Star Wars. I don't know what it's called, but I thought it looked cool. So it's from the Nerdware store. Yeah. Uh, 
she was really nice. Like that was uh, that was the first vendor I talked to, and she was really nice. That was also when I took her gloves off. And then I can't even remember what I. Oh yeah, I saw this vendor. Uh, I really liked all their stuff, and I saw that they had like a goodie bag for like ten bucks with a twenty plus dollar value inside of it. So it's a mystery bag, and it can have an acrylic pen, sticker flakes, which I don't know what that means, sticker sheets, and sticker packs. Okay. So, do you mind if I... Go ahead. All right. Let me move this other bag. Sorry, my pen's about to fall. Go ahead and grab the whole bag if you want. I also got their business card, and I think... Oh, and they gave me a little Japanese snack, uh, which I think that's a pair. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, I'll just put, I'll get the whole tote back, sorry. This is taking forever. You're, we're, we have nowhere to go. Well, we're, we have somewhere to A go. A woman with nowhere to turn. Yeah, exactly. It's not like we don't have anywhere to go, but we're on our way. It's not, we have time, and I can yeah. this. Alright, I'm also grabbing business cards just to talk about the places that I yeah. you know, stopped, because I want to give these places some promotion because they make cool stuff. Uh, alrighty. So, we are going to open the mystery bag now that I've figured it all out. Jeez, I cannot open these calmly. So the first thing is a pack of, um, stickers based on Zelda. Okay. It's... They're that they're one of my favorite sticker materials where it's kind of soft. I think it's the, I think it's the same sticker material that those bad stickers that I got last year were. But it's got a bunch of shields on it. It's got swords. It's got um, the milk, the uh, little bad spirits in the bottles and the fairies, and then pots and ocarinas. Um, second thing in this bag of wonder here is ooh some more stickers. I'm not quite sure what this is. It seems to be some form of axe with an eyeball on it. That's very cool. A uh, dog made out of stars. These are all stickers, by the way. And then just various other cool stickers. This is a My Hero Academia sticker. I don't watch that show anymore. I'm just too lazy to watch it. Um, some letter-themed stickers. Pen Pal by Kingsfoil Coffee. Gamer Positivity. Uh, it's like, you know, a bunch of gaming themed stickers. Uh, they're Gamer, Sugar, Not Salt, Good Vibes Only, Achievement Unlocked, Non-Toxic. Uh, I seem to have figured out what sticker flakes are. They seem to just be smaller stickers. Uh, an enamel pin, that is McCree from Overwatch, so he's like a cool robot cowboy. Okay, cool. Uh... And then I also, I checked out some other vendors as well. Um, oh yeah, one of the other things. I remembered what I was on the hunt for today that I only found one of, but it was very high quality and it was very cool. I was on the hunt for a lot of D&D stuff, um, specifically miniatures, because I've gotten into painting miniatures recently. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't find many, but I did find one store that was selling miniatures and they were painted. So I bought a um, Plague Doctor. Cool. Uh, and then another store that I visited was Dragonspire Ceramics. Um, because at this point I was uh, just visiting, I was picking up some gifts for friends. Uh, specifically my friends Zoe and Cam who worked on theater crew with me. 
uh, Zoe worked with me on set, Cam works in props. So I got Zoe a pendant that has the Earthbender symbol on it, and then I got Cam a sticker with a possum on it that says Be Gay Do Crime. Is there anything else that you, uh, you managed to buy or anything that was that you saw that was a highlight or anything? Um, I mean, we picked up some pop figures. Yes, that's right. Uh, so those were cool. Uh, I saw this one store, and I remember telling you, I was like, if I ever have just money that I can spend without ever worrying about it, I would buy something at that store. They had this really cool Carnage statue mm -hmm. that I thought was super cool. Yeah. Um, There's this one dude selling, like, handwritten D&D &D editions and stuff like that. I didn't buy them because they were like 40, they were very expensive. Yeah. But that was cool. Um, I think that's about it, honestly. Yeah, no, we had a good time. We had, we yeah. had a good lunch at Jimmy John's. And, um. That roast beef sandwich was very good. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, the guy, the guy I was talking to was dressed up as Bill Lumberg from Office Space. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, we went, uh, we, we made the very good decision to go back. I was bummed. We went all the way back to that car for the comic that I had for that person who was going to be there in Artist Alley. And her, the table that she was supposed to be at was occupied by somebody else. Uh, and then there was no sign that she had with who she was or whatever. So I just kind of like, I gave up after like two or three trips down that road. Like, I'm sorry. That's nah, okay. I still ended up getting, having a lot of fun. So Maybe she'll be there next year. Yeah. I keep my eye out. So, you know, there's, I always like going up and down Artist Alley and it's gotten to the point where I've been doing it for so long that I recognize people who aren't like big names and things. I saw the same guy from last year that I bought the uh, pastel prints from. Cool. Uh, I, I thought about getting another one, um, but then I realized like I I'd have to buy two for the wall space to look good, and um, I think they were like I think the only reason I got them at a discount last time was because I gave him advice on how to beat Grim. <laughs> okay. So well, cool. All right. Well, we are now about to sit in traffic, getting to the Beltway. We love sitting in traffic. Yes, I know. And then we are too. gonna hit. Um, Although we're then we're gonna hit Krispy Kreme, so we've been on the road for about a half an hour. So another another half hour, forty five minutes, and then we're gonna hit Krispy Kreme and get our donuts like we always do. Yes. And then we're gonna head home and have a nice dinner. And have a nice dinner. Some and cake, cake uh, because it's uh, Grammy's birthday. And then uh, we are going to. Uh, and that'll be it. What'll be nice is that you get. We can both sleep in because we've been up since about I've been up since five thirty. You've been up since six. Yeah. And because we had to, we left here at about six thirty five, six thirty seven o'clock in the morning. So I think it was six fifty. And I got like five hours of sleep. Yeah. So so we're both pretty tired, but we both and, and getting a little dehydrated. But we we really enjoyed ourselves, and uh, I will be back in a little bit. So stick around. And that is it for the twenty twenty two Baltimore Comic Con. But it is not the end of the episode. Now, this year marks 10 years of my doing this podcast. Now, the blog Pop Culture Affidavit has been around for more than 10 years. I think it's been around for 12. But I decided to take this blog and turn it into a podcast in 2012. My first episode was about that year's Baltimore Comic Con. Now, if you want a personal history of my writing 
career, and I have quotes up to the mic as it is, and my podcasting career as it is, go back to episode 101. That was Pop Culture Affidavit 101, it was called. And that's where I not only shared um, some outtakes and lost footage, I also talked about how the show came to be. It's an episode, I'm actually really proud of that episode. Um, I really enjoyed putting it together. Because it made me realize how much I had done since, well, when I decided I wanted to be a writer, which is like my senior year of high school. I know it's totally egotistical of me to do an episode about me, but I don't know. We kind of need that every once in a while. Because this is tough sometimes. It sounds dumb considering that this is something I am supposed to enjoy. But the last few months uh, for me have been hard. Uh, And while doing podcasts are fun and creative, there have been a lot of times where putting all of these things together feels like I'm swimming against a very heavy current. Often my job's what gets in the way. Uh, You know, it gets overwhelming, as I said toward the beginning of the episode. But there are also times where I'm like out of ideas. I'm second guessing what I'm doing. I'm wondering if anybody really gives a crap that this podcast is even here. And I know that's not true. I know that's my anxiety and my depression talking because the show has been so much fun. It helps feel whatever space is empty when I need to be creative. It's also helped me make friends. You know, some of whom I would have never met. And I know that I'm pretty horrible at staying in touch with people as of late, but really... I have met some great people because I've been a podcaster. And that really does make me happy. I wrote about something similar to what I'm talking about here over on my blog, this reflection that's, that's going to close the show. And uh, not, not Pop F, but The Uncollecting. So if you go to The Uncollecting, you, you'll see me talking about my anxiety and, and how kind of my brain has been working as of late. But I'll, I'll reiterate a little bit of what I talked about there. So I came of age in the early 90s. I entered a world where being overly critical and detached was the definition of cool. So genuinely liking something made you like a lesser person. It it sounds dumb, and it is. But in the moment or at that time, the pressure to not be judged for what you liked was pretty heavy. It's why I own so many Metallica CDs. All right, not entirely. I like the band's music, but I clearly was listening to them because my friend, who acted like he was the arbiter of everything cool and tastemaking, liked them. And I was very much a follow-the-herd person in high school and college. In fact, the only people I ever felt comfortable being myself around were my small group of comic geek friends. and It was like two people. And my girlfriends, and I mean, like, I had a number of, I had a lot of friends who were girls when I was, when I was a teenager. So that's what I mean. I mean, I don't know. We, we shared interests. There was just, there was something about those people that I didn't have to do to front with the, with the guys I was friends with in high school and college. And I found that in another place as I started to leave college and enter my adulthood, which was online fandom. 
I discovered online fandom in 1998. I started subscribing to a Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High fan listserv. And soon after graduating from college, I found another listserv for my so-called life and one for the show Freaks and Geeks. You've heard me talk about Degrassi and MSCL in episodes before. I intend to do a Freaks and Geeks episode at least somewhere down the line. Stella and I talked about doing one like two years ago, and I still have to get it off the ground. But these were some of the first places that I found an entire group of people who not only shared my interests, but they were genuinely nice, and by and large, they didn't judge me. I have friends I have known for more than 20 years because of internet listservs for TV shows, and that's pretty cool. So fast forward to 2007 or 2008 and my discovery of From Crisis to Crisis, then Views from the Long Box, then Back to the Bins, the two true freaks shows, Fire and Water, Relatively Geeky, Hey Kids Comics, the list goes on and on and on. And while you all sort of have Michael Bailey to blame for this show, because I was just kind of copying his shtick, I also have him and the other freaks and geeks, see what I did there, to thank for giving me a place to just like what I like and share that. I mean, it hasn't been perfect. And without getting into specifics, there are those people I've become distanced from over the last few years, but... The fact that I could find people who would share what I like or at least indulge me and not shit all over me for it is oddly refreshing. The Fire and Water Gang has a mantra, find your joy. It's literally on a sticker that's on my water bottle right now. I love that, even if I have to give credit to Shag. But I also love the mantra that I had for years and, well... I'd gotten lost in a fog of anxiety, depression, and everything that comes with it. That mantra was something that I wrote about all the way back in uh, 2010 in a blog entry I did about Lisa Loeb's song, Stay, I Missed You. It was something a friend of mine wrote to me in a letter during her first week at Brown as a freshman. She wrote, it's really strange here. Everyone is so intelligent. I feel pretty stupid and ignorant, but it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. The people are really interesting. The mantra I found in that sentence was the statement, it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. I put that on the wall of my dorm room. I made it my email signature, you know, back in the day when we actually did email signatures like that. It's even on the about part of the Pop Culture Affidavit blog. Because really, I'm an awkward dork. And I'm an awkward dork who likes random stuff. And I started this podcast to both indulge and celebrate that. My joy is rabbit holes, especially those that go way back into a topic's origin and backgrounds and touch upon the pieces of media or sources that you might not have thought about in years. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains, for instance, was fascinating for me because I was looking at and finding stuff I would have never believed was out there. I mean, a doctoral thesis on the 84 Olympics? Both of Peter Jenkins' books gave me a glimpse into an America whose time certainly had passed, or 
you know, the movies, the music, the television, like it came from syndication where I get to, to look at like all these things that, that we remembered, but had not remembered, you know, like just kind of digging into those recesses of pop culture memory where you're that, that go beyond just the, the highlights. And even if I do hit the highlights every once in a while, I, I still love just doing them, even, you know, just talking about the stuff. And I enjoy myself most in that element and through these people I have met, you know, because they're, they're all dorks of some sort or another. And, and I love that. And I've been able to indulge the dorkier, nerdier things and not feel self-conscious about it. So yeah, 10 years, 10, 10 years of doing just that, speaking into the void, or maybe sometimes to other people, but why? I don't know, because I have fun doing this. It's fun to geek out about things that fascinate me. And I still have more that I want to do. I have still have more than I want to do with this. I still have more ideas that I think I have time or space in my head for. I want to get back to writing more regularly, writing blog posts. I really have enjoyed writing the small reviews I've been doing for the Uncollecting blog that I have. So porting that over to stuff that I can put on here on, that is, that's a little more, um, has a little more meat to it. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to get to that a little bit more next year. I have a great mini series idea for next year that I'm sussing out. I have other topics I haven't even touched and I'm glad that I have the chance to do this. Um, I'm glad some people come along for the ride. I'm really glad that you listen to this and, and seem to enjoy it as well. So thank you for 10 years. Next episode, I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing. Um, I did toy with the idea of taking a month off. I, if I can't think of anything in December, I'm sure I will though. I'm definitely going to be posting an episode in January. And like I said, I've got some pretty cool ideas for next year, including uh, a whole new mini series that's separate from the regular episode count. I've got a mini series, uh, a few episodes planned within that on a couple of movies that are having anniversaries next year, as well as random stuff on random comics, uh, music, etc. So hopefully next year is going to be fun. Hopefully I feel like I can get some of this energy back that I really, really uh, love having when I do this. And uh, again, you guys make this just so much fun to do and so worth it. And um, as always, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, 
visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.